Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. Ah, a little, little skippage on there. A little, little shaking it up on the ones and twos, Cam. Yeah, a little in, in honor of Nate Dog and there you go, Warren G. A little DJ action. I like I like getting the dispatch from my buddy Sam Hobbs, who let me know that uh, yeah, he's not a very sneaky person. I know because Miss Plant, the math teacher, probably still has that street in Smith. So, not that I want it back or need it back. But and by the way, speak, she kept it. Yeah, oh, we never unfair. saw it again. Uh, by the way, Sam Hobbs still has somewhere in my 2002 Sports Illustrated college football preview. As much as you know, we were supposed to not like Oklahoma. That's one of the best SI preview covers I've ever seen because it's Tommy Harris and it's like in the rain and he's got like mud on his uniform. Dude, it's an awesome cover. And like plus where I grew up in Florence, America, Tommy Harris went to Colleen Ellison. Shout out to Mike Harge. Uh, Tommy Harris is like to me the gold standard of defensive tackles in this state. I really wanted it. Go Sam Hobbs like, hey, let me borrow that. And that oh, was yeah. uh, that was in the summer of 2002, and I never saw that magazine again. So you owe me a 2002 Sports Illustrated college football preview. Sam Those Williams, are my my favorite right Sports Illustrated magazines. Was the college, college football, football preview. preview. And that's how I knew I was a college football junkie because I would buy as many college football magazines as possible. I would get Sports Illustrated, ESPN. The magazine was a thing at that time. Uh, yeah. j- just started. Uh, Street and Smith, Athlon. Uh, that was right around the time I discovered Phil Steele, and now Phil Steele is the only one I buy. But yeah, uh, that's uh, that's good stuff. From there was some back great, in the day. some great Texas ones from, and a lot a lot of it was OU Texas. It felt like every every year for a while in the two thousand, the SI, the, the magazine that was released after the Red River rivalry game was either going to be Oklahoma on the cover if they won, or Texas if Texas won. And for a while, it was you know it was a combination of Colt McCoy and, yeah. and Jordan Shipley and <laughs> you know Vince what I did, Young. You know what I did in high school one year. It was after the 2002 uh, – no, it was the, 2000, the 2001 game. Uh, it was the game where I lost a bet, what I've told the story on the show before, known as the Pablo Nacho incident. But it was Jimmy Wilkerson hitting Chris Sims, like sacking yeah. Chris Sims, and like the ball was coming loose. I went around to the library and everywhere I could find that cover in school and tore the cover off of all the really? Sports Illustrated that we – Yeah. Uh-huh. I sure did. Great picture. Um, no, it wasn't. If you're an Oklahoma fan, it was a great yeah, picture. If you're a exactly. Texas fan, you uh, you didn't want to remember. Yeah, I remember in the library going up and finding it and tearing the cover off. So, For me. Good times. I didn't, that was my civic duty, I, I figured, at that point. I didn't tear it off, but the Mark Ingram Dynasty Sports Illustrated cover after the 2009 National Championship game. That was one. I think I, I still have it, but it was like, come on, Colt got injured. Dynasty, get out of here. And then three years later, it was like, yeah, okay. They were, they were right. Oh, I'll, I'll give the guys who get paid money. Uh, Is that credit. like, I don't, I know anytime I mention that game, that game gets mentioned. It's like opening up Pandora's box. Yeah. It's just like reopening the wound. Is that the one game for Texas fans that's just like, you just think you're in a bad dream and you're like, I'm going to wake up. Pretty soon, at some point, like I'm gonna wake mm-hmm. up, and then you realize, no, this is really happening. Yeah, it's it's one where it's like your brain almost can't compute it properly because it's just like, no, 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 no. Like we we win this game, like we we win this game, e- even all the way to the very end when Garrett Gilbert's rolling out to the right, and I think people forget that. Like Texas had the ball in a one possession game. I think people forget that part. Gilbert had five turnovers combined interceptions and texas had a, a three-point game when i was at longhorn network as an intern uh it was before oh no actually greg mcelroy was coming on um, longhorn game day and so i put together a little um package of the 2009 bcs game 
And I had to go through it and clip off from that entire game, Jeff. A pretty traumatizing experience because I had not watched that game all the way through since the original outing. And it's like, man, we there were so many windows where Texas could have won this game. Yeah. You got to get credit to Alabama for eventually just taking the putting the foot down the fourth quarter. But I mean, if one or two of those Gilbert turnovers just goes the other way, like. Did, I've tried to block a lot of that game. Did Malcolm Williams drop a touchdown pass in that game? A little bit. It was almost overthrown a little bit, but it, it went through his hands. Okay. The the moment for me in that game, somebody just uh, brought Marcel it up. Marcel Darius, thank you. Was the uh, yeah the uh, the screen pass? Yes. The picks or the shovel the pick six shovel pass. Ugh. Uh, you know why why I'm bringing this up? Because last night I'll tell you one Texas game that I still have not watched all the way through. I refuse to go back and rewatch it. Texas Tech. No, the 2009 Big 12 championship game yep. where Indomitian Sue just, Very I mean, handled. just ragdolled Colt McCoy all night. Texas won the game, yep. but it's one of those ones where you won, but it's like, yeah, don't, I don't really know if you, I mean, you could celebrate going to the championship game, but man, thank goodness that's over. Yeah, it was a very ugly game. I still remember where I was at and how I felt after Colt McCoy's pass got out of bounds just in time and seeing Pelini walk onto the field, you know, saying game's over, there's no time left. Yeah. And fortunately, you know, it was close. And then the, the kick to go ahead and, and win it. That ugh, ugh. I, I, I had DVR'd it because I was out on the road covering a, a game. I was covering a recruit. Uh, I want to say, was I at, uh, man, was that a Dallas Skyline DeSoto playoff game at SMU maybe I was I was at that night. But anyway, went home, the, went home that night, watched the next day deleted it and have refused to go refused back to and watch, watch the rest of it because i was like come on sue couldn't have been that good and it's like oh oh man sue really was that good i thought he should have been your heisman winner that year there's an argument that he, that he should have been because 2009 that was the bradford mark ingram mark ingram okay, mm-hmm. that's right bradford was the year toby before. gerhardt was a finalist that year oh he was a god in ncaa football 08, uh, 2010, <laughs> just rode the glory mail to Toby Gerhardt, Stanford. Oh, my God. You're getting 200 yards every game out of him. Not, not Probably not as good as uh, Ricky Williams was in NCAA football in 99. Never got the play just run, just run. That was on the old PlayStation, the original PlayStation. Just run a halfback toss the whole time. You'd, go, you'd rip off like 4,000 yards in a season. First one for me was probably 0405 and just having Finn Chung in the shotgun and just running with him on every play mm-hmm. and just going 96 yards, touchdowns, every every drive. I've told you the drinking game me and my buddies played in college. No. That game. You, uh, you had to take a touch. Every touchdown you gave up, that's a shot. And then you could do the two point conversion for double or nothing. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I've been getting some, some serious trouble on some of those nights. There was, there was some of those where I, I don't remember second halves of some of those. <laughs> Drink responsibly, kids. Uh, anyway. Um, hey, one thing I do want to bring up, Cam, because my colleague Chip Brown wrote about it at Horns 24-7. You can go to Horns 24-7 right now. Uh, you know, we've got some some recruiting information up there. We're talking basketball recruiting. We've got football team stuff, all kinds of stuff. Uh, plenty of recruiting is up there. And also, we're keeping you updated on the roster tracker. So if you want to know where Texas is on scholarships right now, who's uh, who's come in from the portal, who's jumped uh, jumped out of the portal, or left the program via the portal. We, we're keeping a running tally of all that right now. Um, but uh, where was I going with that? What was I talking about before I mentioned this? Chip oh, Brown's latest piece. Yes, Chip's latest column. Thank you, Cam. Uh, is about Trill Carter and just looking at the fact that, you know, Sark made a really good find in the transfer portal. 
it's the overarching theme of the portal for me. Um, I've said, as I said yesterday, the portal's a luxury for Texas now. It's not a necessity. And I don't know where you are with this, Cam. I think if Texas is going to take people out of the portal, even if you're looking at positions like, I think edge is the one exception, but I think like pretty much tight end and any other position outside of edge where I think you can take a one-year guy, if I'm Sark, if it's not a two-year guy, I probably I probably don't take a guy. And the reason why I say that is if you're going to take a guy from the portal, like the scenario I laid out with Trill Carter yesterday, right? Like you could lose Murphy, Sweat, Broughton, and Collins. You could lose all of them. There's a possibility you could lose all of them after this year. I don't think you will, but there's a possibility of it. So you still need a veteran that's a part of your rotation this year that you can count on being there in 2024. I think it's the same thing like with tight end, right? I don't think any of us expect JT Sanders to be here beyond the season. He's draft eligible after the 2023 season. He's going to be one of the top few tight ends taken in the draft if everything goes right this fall. I wouldn't count on JT Sanders being back in 2024. Maybe he is, but I wouldn't count on it. But if I'm Sark, if I take a tight end out of the portal, I want to take a two-year guy. That way he's competing with Juan Davis and Gunnar Helm this year. And then next year, if you do lose JT Sanders, okay, well, now you've got three guys that have – that are ingrained in your system, that you can that have been trained properly, that know what to do, that you know what you've got, and you don't have to say, "Oh man, we're scrambling to find a one-year guy." No, no, no. It's not a, it's not a panic situation, because you took a two-year guy. I think maybe the same thing. Like if there's an offensive lineman that has multiple years left that you feel like can help you down the road, do it there. Linebacker is a position where maybe like with Trill Carter, maybe he's a buffer if you feel like it maybe. Because uh, you're going to lose Jalen Ford after this year, you know David Bend is gone. Maybe you feel like okay, maybe Anthony Hill and Leunga Lafau are ready, but we don't have any other linebackers. Let's bring in a, a multiple year guy now, so that way now we've got multiple guys competing for those two spots. So I don't know where you are with it, Cam. I just think that's how I'm viewing the portal. If I'm Sark, I, Edge is the only spot where I'm looking at a one year guy, or if that one year guy is just if he's just so good that you'd be foolish not to take him like just like best case scenario of it possible, then I'd take a one-year guy. But other than that, I'm I'm looking at two-year guys in the portal. Is that why you think Texas is not targeting Bear Alexander? No, I think Texas is – well, Texas is targeting Bear Alexander, but, I mean, that one's got – I think that's going to end up being in USC. a pretty lucrative NIL deal that's going to yeah, end up at okay. USC. And, I mean, look, it's one of those deals, right? Like a, a guy the caliber of Bear Alexander doesn't go into the portal unless he's got a pretty good idea of where he's going – I don't think it's a coincidence that from the Georgia side, the minute he jumped in the portal, all the smoke was about USC. There's other schools, obviously, that are going to be involved, but all the smoke was about USC. It seems like, back to your point about the one or two-year guys, for offensive line, it seems like if you're going to target an O-line in the portal, either your O-line is decimated or you're going after a graduate transfer who can start immediately. And the same thing for the, for the interior guys. It's like a position he's the, like where he's you, the missing piece. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a position my where – voice cracks. Sorry about that. It's a position where I feel like you, you need a couple years of development, really. It's not one – it's not like a quarterback where you can pull a Keaton Slovis or JT What's-His-Face over at Pittsburgh and USC in Georgia. What's his name? JT uh, – uh, who cares? Where you can just go from – Program the program in, in plug and place, right? Oh, you're talking about JT Daniels. JT Daniels. Yeah. I'm going to say JT Sanders, but that's not him, obviously. D line and O line, it doesn't seem like you can really do that because you got to find a way to fit into your, your gap and yeah. scheme, unless, like you said, you're that missing piece. Like, but usually, it's, I feel like it's almost only offensive line, like with uh, Parker Braun, the former Georgia Tech trainer. Calvin Anderson. Calvin Anderson, yeah, from yeah. Rice. I'm trying to think of what are the portal offensive linemen. 
Texas has taken. I'd have to go back and look at it. I don't think they took any other portal linemen. I can um, only think of two off the top of my head. Yeah. Like, well, like Calvin. we said, like, like we talked about yesterday, like you look at Sark's first year, like they took a lot of guys out of the portal just because in some spots they Kinda just needed to. bodies. Yeah. Right. They just had to get scholarship bodies. And you appreciate the efforts of those guys. But now you've done such a good job of recruiting. And based on what we saw in the spring game, it looks like your player development. I'm not going to say they figured it out because the proof will be in the pudding on that. But for the first time in a long time, I feel like from a player development standpoint, I feel like I can comfortably say they're on the right track. They're headed down the right path. But for that to matter, the wins have to be there Mm -hmm. this year. Because if they're not, we've all seen the same song and dance before. If Texas goes seven and five this year, then we all know what the chatter is going to be going into twenty twenty four, especially your first year in the SEC. So you need a nice ten, you need a nice nine or ten win season this year. Get yourself to Arlington and and be in the mix. That's what you need to for I think for the the masses to want to see you see this thing through. You brought up the tight end spot, and I think we can all agree Sanders is gone. But they didn't find that. By the way, that's not inside information for me. That's just me. Being realistic. Just watch JT Sanders play football. But Texas didn't pick up that pass-catching tight end in this last class. They had a couple good blockers come in. Gunnar Helm's already been there. Um, What's-his-face, Arch Manning's high school teammate. Will Randall. Will Randall Randall won't even help you this year because he's coming off the ACL. And then plus Juan Davis. But it feels like— Spencer Shannon will be here during the summer, too. He'll get here with that next wave of guys. And you still have the upcoming recruiting class plus the transfer portal, but where are you at in the tight end position in terms of what it could look like if Sanders leaves and leaving the hole that Sanders will leave after he heads off to the NFL? I, I think they've got some good developmental guys, but I think even with the losses you're going to sustain at wide receiver after this year, I still think you'll go into 2024. Assuming you don't add another body at tight end, I think you're positioning yourself to be a predominantly – 11, 11 personnel offense, maybe a 20 personnel offense okay. in 2024. That's that's for Sark to figure out. And, it again, when you look at what's going to be – you're going to run a multitude of personnel packages, but for me it's like, like last year with 12 personnel. What benefited you more, an extra tight end or an extra receiver on the field? Well, considering the issues you had at receiver, it made more sense – to double down on the advantage you had in the run game and bring an extra tight end in as a blocker. That's why Gunnar Helm got so much work. You don't have that advantage in the run game. Your advantage is on the outside. So now it might benefit you more to be an 11 personnel offense. You're saying, hey, instead of one running back, two tight ends, let's be one running back, one tight end, three receivers so we can get another one of these playmakers on the field. So I think that's – that when you – when your personnel doesn't all line up, and very rarely are you going to have a year like Texas in 2005 where to whatever personnel grouping you want to run, just, just run it. It doesn't matter at that mm-hmm. point. Most years you're going to have to figure out, okay, we can be – this needs to be our base personnel group because this maximizes what we've got, but then you're, you're still going to run 12 or 21 or 20, whatever you're talking about. You're still going to have to run just to keep defenses honest, and, and you've got enough versatile weapons at the skill positions to be able to motion guys out and do some different things with your formations to keep defenses honest. But just figuring out what that, that base, that primary personnel package is going to be, that's totally personnel dependent. But if you've got an offense like Sark where you have the ability – to, to be malleable and, and flip in and out of different personnel groupings, it shouldn't be a problem as long as you just make the right decision and if, Sark, if you're yeah. the guy in charge. Sark loves those big tight ends dating back to O.J. Howard, Alabama. And I'm curious to see where he goes. Yeah, he, he had Austin Safarian Jenkins at Washington. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah. 
So you forget you forget all the some of the good tight ends Sark has had. I mean, he's had so many dang good playmakers during his time at from going back to even when he was at USC just as a quarterbacks coach all the way through Alabama and Texas. He he's had a lot of talent to work with. Dominic Bird at USC was a really good tight end for them back in the day. Um let me check something real quick. Uh, no, I was thinking it was Tony Gonzalez with the Falcons when Sark was there, but he was long retired by the time Sark got to Atlanta. But at any that rate, was Hayden Hurst, if I remember correctly, was it Hayden Hurst? Okay, I'll, I'll check that during the break.